Uh, so now I know we're talking about Daniel, but I want to jump off just talking about Peter. The Apostle Peter, and, and there's two statements that Peter makes in his letters, um, and, and, and they've stuck with me, and they've been scriptures that have been very close to me throughout my life. One is 1 Peter 2 and 9, where Peter calls us a peculiar people. That's always stuck into my mind. But then he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he says that there should be a hope inside of us, inside of you, inside of me. And that hope should be so overwhelming about the things in this world that people are asking us, how are you hopeful? How are you hopeful even now? It doesn't necessarily make sense. And so I want to encourage you today through the thought of we are, we should be different. We should be different than the rest of the world, than those who, who, who don't uh, profess Christ as Lord. There should be something about us, the way we live, the things that we abstain from, the things that we choose to do, because we are His. And that thing should point us and point others towards Him. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a different country or if you've ever traveled abroad, uh, and in doing so, going to places where uh, it's, it, they don't speak your language and the culture is not the same. If you've ever been in a country where uh, you were concerned about how would they hear me or how uh, if I tried to speak their language, would they laugh at me? And, and you try to find ways to, to fit in with what's going on in the culture. For some of us, we don't have to go overseas to find that. For some of us, we recognize that that's here, that we can look around and see that there are people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our jobs, where it almost feels like we're alien in the midst of it, and that's a beautiful thing. But what happens when you're alien in the midst of those cultures and you start to feel the oppression to become like them? When you start to feel drawn into speaking like them, thinking like them, looking like them. Well, what we have in this particular passage of Scripture as we, we endeavor to study throughout Daniel is what it means to hold on to our faith and not change, even though the surroundings are oppressive, even though the surroundings create a struggle and even a hostility for us. What happens when the culture around you is almost crushing you? Well, I would say this, that just like what we're going to read here, God is sovereign in the midst of our cultural circumstances. God has you there for a reason. And if you're there for a reason, then there is provision for you there in that particular place. And he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so even where you are, you are not without him. So I want to encourage you today. Through, uh, through, through Daniel. Now, when we step into this world of Daniel, what we see is that there are powerful governmental forces, pagan forces, that are very progressive in, in what they're pushing towards him. They're wanting them to change. They're wanting him to change. And, and we see Babylon as being a major power. This is not a, a, a one-off that we see Babylon. We see it in Genesis. We see it here in Daniel. We see it in Revelation in a couple of different places. We see that Babylon is never considered to be a nice place. Babylon is consistently used to punish Israel, to punish them when they turn away from God. And we see that here. In Revelation 18 and 2, we see that Babylon is listed as a dwelling place for demons. Babylon is not considered to be a great place. 
It's not a great place for God's people. Imagine living in that place full of excess sin and violence. And how can God's people remain loyal to his word? How can God's people resist the pressure of that culture? So I want to encourage you through this first verse, uh, these, these first few verses. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and it reads, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, new names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. As we look at this, we have to recognize that there's something happening here. There's a cultural influence that is stepping in on these boys' life. They're being pulled out of their home. They're being pulled out of, of, of Jerusalem, the place that they're accustomed to. Actually, they're being pulled out of the land that God gave them. They're being pulled out of the customs that they're, uh, they were brought up in. And as they get to Babylon, they're also pulled into something else. They're pulled into a new name. Now, these Babylonians, they, they come into play uh, just a, a few years before this, they have a, a bitter rivalry with the Egyptians. They conquer the Egyptians, and then they begin to go after all of those who are affiliated with the Egyptians, which is how we end up in this particular place. Because this king Jehoiakim, he aligned himself with things that were evil. He walked away from the Lord. He was an evil king. He did not follow after God. And in him aligning himself with Egypt, he became the target of Egypt's enemies. And so in 605, there was one of the first sieges on Jerusalem. There were three sieges in total that happened over the years before Jerusalem was completely destroyed. But in this first siege in 605, they go in and they take over the city. They start burning things. They start doing things. Uh, they start running the city. But what they do is they also take away prisoners. They take away prisoners to, prisoners to bring them back into to, to Babylon, and this is the Lord's doing. Now, that's a tough part for us to, to deal with because what's happening here is, is, is we don't like oppression. We don't like when we see something like this, especially in Scripture. It's hard for some people to defend it when it says, well, how could your God allow these things to happen? Well, the reason why these things happened, and Israel knew that something like this could happen, because God said that if you turn away from me, then these things that I gave you will be taken away from you. Now, God could have responded with, if you turn away from me, I will destroy you. But he didn't do that. 
He said, if you turn away from me, I'll take away your land. I'll take away your heritage until you remember me. Sometimes we go through a breaking and a crushing and we find ourselves in tough situations because we have not honored the Lord. We've not honored the Lord in the things that we've said. We've not honored the Lord in the things that we've done. And we find ourselves in crushing and breaking moments so that the only thing that we have left, we have no prosperity, we have no land, we have no authority, we have no say-so. We may not even have family, but the only thing that we do have left is the Lord. When we only have the Lord, what do we do? The same thing that Israel does consistently is to turn to him and to say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And so Israel is brought into this tough situation, this breaking situation, where all they have left is the Lord. These young men are going through this tough situation, and Daniel recognizes that it is the Lord. The Lord handed Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. The Lord allowed for these things to happen. I want you to understand that there are bad things that happen to us and to this world, but part of the reason is because of our sin or someone else's sin that we experience the influence of. So Babylon was one of the nations that God used to punish Israel for their persistent rebellion and disobedience. Now, Israel is conquered and disgraced, and they're an exiled people. But this happens many times throughout history. This is actually a technique that is used quite consistently throughout history, where you conquer a people and then you begin to wash off their culture, wash off their heritage, so they have nothing to hold on to except whatever you give them. This has happened time and time again. But this is one of those things that, that happens in a very natural and earthly way because this is not God's way. What the psalmist tells us is that the Lord has compassion upon the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the oppressed, and they are precious in his sight. And so the Lord does not look at going after those who are high and mighty and wealthy and those who are knowledgeable and taking them and the best of and leaving those who are marginalized to the edges. The Lord brings all of us in. That is his way. Man's way is to reject those that are on the margins. Man's way is to reject those who are not the intellectual highest. Though man's way is to, is to look at the appearance and to say that's what we desire. That's who we desire to lead us. Consider how we're about to go into an election season, and I want you to tune your ears to what is said about those who are being pushed up to be elected. And whatever level it is, are we talking about godly things? Are we talking about those who are supporting, those who are loving and caring for those who are on the fringes and overlooked? Or are we talking about those who are the best and the brightest? Are we talking about those who are worthy of being in this particular place? So the king uses this education this, this reworking of their education to try to make them more like him, to try to make them more Babylonian. He begins to pour into these things, but he strips away this particular cultural thing that it would almost seem like you can't strip away, which is someone's name. But what we read in the end of this, in, the, in, the, in verse 6 and 7, what we see is that there is a change here. And what happens is they change the names of these Hebrew boys from Daniel. He changes it. 
But I want to give you an understanding of what these names actually mean. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael means whose is what God is. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. But these Babylonians, they begin to change it and strip it away, and I'm not going to call you Daniel anymore. I'm going to call you Belteshazzar. I'm not going to call you Hananiah anymore. I'm going to call you Shadrach. Why? Because Belteshazzar has the name of my God in it, and it means that Bel will protect. Not Yahweh, but Bel will protect. Hananiah, who was called Shadrach, this new name, Shadrach, means Aku inspires me. Aku was one of the Babylonian gods. Mishael, he called Meshach, which means belonging to Aku. So he's taking, he's taking their heritage, he's taking their connection to the Lord in their names and who in their identity, and he's changing it. The goal of this was to strip the exiles of their social, educational, and religious convictions and replace them with the ethics and the morals that are informed by the Babylonians. Does that happen in our day? When I first went off to college, I remember I had two very distinct professors. One was in biology, and that professor opened up uh, the class with, I want to show you throughout this class that there is no God. I want to show you that we evolved, and, and he was very specific. I had another professor, he was an economics professor, and that professor, I still remember to this day, he grabbed his little gold cross on his neck, and he said, I understand that all resources belong to the Lord. And the reason why I study and why I teach economics is because I believe that there is a way to distribute all the resources so that God's people are blessed. There's a statement by Richard Shaw, who's a theologian, he says, there is no such thing as morally neutral education. Every time we are in an opportunity to be educated or to learn something, there is an ethic and a morality that comes behind that, and you have to be able to be equipped to understand whether it's a biblical ethic and a biblical morality, or whether it's an evil or a worldly ethic or morality. And it's not just in our educational institutions, but consider even in the social settings that most of us find ourselves attached to through social media. Consider the conversation around TikTok and what was the danger of TikTok. It's the danger of TikTok that it's showing us two different versions. There's the version that's available in China that has one particular algorithm, and then there's a version that's available in the rest of the world that has a different algorithm. And that algorithm is providing to you what it wants you to value, what it wants you to understand. I didn't write that algorithm, and I recognize that for the most part, it's actually not after the things that I like, the things that I search and the things that I pursue, because I thought that's what it was. But how many of you who are of that uh, social media generation have heard the term, they changed the algorithm? Why? So that I can educate you in the way that I desire to educate you, so that I can provide you what I want to provide for you. Without going too deep into that, maybe we could talk about that later. I'll switch over to Meta. There's a lot of lawsuits that Meta is facing right now, more in particular as to how they have targeted young people and how they have used said algorithm to be able to manipulate them into a particular process of using social media. And so again, there is no morally neutral education, not even what seems to be not education. 
This is my relaxation. This is how I de-stress throughout my day. Well, you're being educated. You're being educated by the world. And I would encourage you to be able to find a way. It's, 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 it's easy for us to not be mindful or aware of the cultural influences that are seeking to shape us. But it's there. But it's there. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. He says not be, to not be outwitted by Satan as a result of our ignorance of his tactics. He's coming after us in a lot of different ways. And you got to know that you have an adversary. You have to know that you have an enemy. You're not just out there living your own life. There is someone actively trying to keep you from seeing the Lord and following after the Lord and giving your heart to him. We must consistently remind ourselves that education, media, and entertainment are not morally neutral. So what do we do in a situation where it would seem like everything is, is, is coming against us? Well, we have to remain dependent upon God. How do we remain dependent on God? Well, at this point, this young teenage boy, Daniel, and his friends are in the midst of being indoctrinated by the imposing force of the region. They are being brought in to the king's developmental process. And so who are they to step up? Who are they to push back against the system? Well, let's see what happens. In verse number eight, it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see you? You were in worse condition than the youth who were of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, our appearance of the, uh, then let the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in the matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were able to drink and gave them vegetables. Now Daniel's story is consistently at odds with the Babylonian culture. We see him constantly pushing back and, 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 and doing his own thing, but it's primarily so that he would honor the Lord. It's primarily so that he would stay faithful to the heritage that he have, has. It says in verse 8 that he resolved, that he set it aside. I am not going to live this life no matter what. I'm not going to let go of what I know to be right. And one of the things that he knew to be right is that God had set aside strict uh, uh, eating rituals or eating guidelines for the Hebrew people. Now, this is not necessarily God saying that uh, these things are particularly unclean, because when we think about pigs, when we think about all the things that are made, who made them? 
But what he's doing is he's setting something aside so that in your abstention of these things, it is honoring to him. It's you actively choosing him. Now, when I think about how consistently God uses something like food, of which I don't know about you, but I probably eat more than once a day. I'm probably considering food more than once a day. And so God utilizing food in this way, it could be that he's saying, I want you to consider me more than just once a day. I want you to consider me more than just once a week. Think about even the the prohibition that he set on Adam and Eve, that they could have all of the trees, they could eat from anything within the garden except this one tree that they could eat of. Think about it. He set it as a food prohibition, and they couldn't follow that. But he continues on with this food prohibition with his people, and he says, I don't want you to eat these things to show that you have set yourself apart. Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 go into all the details more in particular as to how they were set apart, but both of them have this thing in common. This thing that's in common, he says, I am your God and I am holy. And so you do these things to be holy. You are my people and I want you to be holy and set apart. Well, set apart from what? If we look like everything, if we do everything that everybody else does, if we eat everything that everybody else does, how are we set apart? How are we, like Peter said, peculiar? If there's no difference in the way that we respond to things and the way that the world responds to things, how will people look at us and say there's a special hope that lies within you? See, what God is doing here is he is setting aside this thing that we use every single day to say, God, I choose you. Think about what Joshua says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Do you choose that every time you choose to eat? Who will you serve? How will you set yourself apart? Israel's food laws, they showed who really desired the Lord, who really wanted him. In our current day, we also, and in a few minutes, we're going to be taking communion. This, again, is a utilizing food so that we are choosing the Lord. Why do we take communion? We take communion as a consistent reminder that I choose to follow after the Lord. I have chosen him, and I continue to follow after him. I am partaking of the Lord's table. Now, this Daniel fast that we have heard of, this this prohibition from the particular foods, it's not necessarily a fast. It's just Daniel trying to be faithful to what God has already said. He's not setting this new standard. And I needed to say that because I recognize that as we come into a season of fasting, that there are some who feel like that's what this is. But it really is just Daniel saying, I choose the Lord more than I choose anything else. Now, I don't know what the smells or what anything was like in, uh, in the Babylonian food um, spectrum. But I'm pretty sure it included a lot of the things that are not here. And there was a lot of temptation to go over there, to go and do those things, to eat those foods. Not sure how how, how many of you vegetarians and vegans have walked into a place like Red Smoke or uh, or Slows and was like, that smells pretty good. There was a lot of temptation, and there's a lot of temptation in our worldly life, in our life, on your job, in your school, in your neighborhood. There's a lot of temptation to do things the way the world does. 
At this day and age, you would ask somebody, well, what does it mean to be married? And some, many people will say, well, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper because culturally that has what it's become for a lot of people. There is no real covenant and commitment into marriage. It's just, oh, that's just a piece of paper. But that's not biblically what God calls marriage. God calls marriage a uniting of two, taking two individuals and making them one, inseparable. But yet we have a mechanism here that allows for them to be separated or at least legally separated. But something happens here, and I want you to understand the danger that's involved in Daniel pushing back. Yes, Daniel trusts the Lord. Yes, Daniel is, 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 is living this life. But he, this, uh, not the Ethiopian eunuch, but this eunuch here in Babylon, he says, I fear the Lord my king because he recognized that if Daniel did not show himself to be healthy, to be well, not only would Daniel be in trouble, but those who cared for him would be in trouble. That's how real this situation is, yet Daniel is pushing back. He's willing to say, I don't, I don't really care. I want to honor my God even in the face of death. This is the first time we see it, but it's not the last time. We're going to come back to this many times where Daniel and, 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 and Mishael and Hananiah, these guys are making a choice that I don't care. If you bring death to me, I still won't bow. Are we willing to have that kind of, of resolve within the culture that's around us, within the culture that's around us, around us that says that you can live any kind of way sexually even though God says that there are some particular things that are sexually immoral? Are we willing to push back even on a job that says you have to work on this particular day that you have set aside, this is the Lord's day? I choose to honor the Lord in that. Are you willing to, to put some things on the line for your relationship with the Lord? Are you willing to push back as Daniel has pushed back? But what we see here is that God gives a consistent amount of wisdom and understanding. I mean, these are just teenage boys, and he gives him the boldness, but also the words to say, to say, hey, steward, how about we try this? Give us 10 days. 10 days of doing things our way. And if things don't work out, then do what you want. He's negotiating his opportunity to serve the Lord there. God will give you the opportunity to respond in the right ways to those who are pushing back against you. You may feel overly passionate about something. You may feel like you're going to yell at somebody or you're going to blow up at your boss if they come at you one more time that way. But God will give you wisdom. God will give you the right words. God will give you a calm spirit even in the midst of, of struggle, in the midst of turmoil. God is allowing them to be able to have an understanding even beyond their own age. Daniel also didn't want credit for their appearance. He wanted everything to go towards God as, he, as, as he's shown that the Lord has, has, has done this thing where they are fatter, where they are in better condition than everybody else. What do we see? That Daniel is giving the credit to God. See, that's the other side. We, once we get this biblical wisdom, once we get this godly wisdom, some of us turn and say, oh man, you know, that was like the smartest thing that I ever did. But then we have to understand, well, where did we get that wisdom from? It came from the Lord. Well, what if we told our coworkers? What if we told our parents? What if we told our children, 
Man, God has been faithful to, to allow me to raise you in this way. God has been faithful to allow me to recommend these things for our business. God has been faithful. Then they will ask about the hope that lies within you if we point it towards the Lord. You do some extraordinary things in extraordinary days, and people will say there must be an extraordinary God. As Christians living in a culture which is hostile to our faith, we'll be faced with very similar conflicts. So how do we survive these high-pressure moments? The only way we thrive is if we remain dependent on God. As Dr. Charles Stanley, a lay preacher, he said like this, our job is to trust in God and to leave the consequences to Him. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Take this step. Daniel had no uh, guarantees that if he just ate the vegetables that he would be different. But he trusted in God that if I follow after your ways, that if I pursue what is holy, if I pursue what you said, then you will honor your promises and you will preserve us. And so they chose to do those things. Be faithful in trusting that God will provide a way. So as, as we will see throughout this study, Daniel, and in Daniel, the Lord is the main character of the story. It's not actually Daniel. And Daniel is careful not to take this credit because he wants all the Jewish exiles and even his captors to know that it was the Lord, the Lord who rescued, the Lord who preserved them. And so how? How do they continue on? They, they recognize that they were receiving divine favor by God. It was not their own. It was not because of the wisdom that they had. It was not because of the skill that they had learned. They were recognizing that it was by the divine power, the divine favor of God. Verses 17 through 21, it really all comes to a head right here. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. God gave it to them. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That's going to come into play in a few chapters. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, was, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's no guarantee that Nebuchadnezzar would have been pleased with them. But he was pleased. He sat with them. He asked them questions to understand, did you learn? What do you know about us? How were you able to bring in this information? And they showed themselves to be exceptional. But it says that God gave. God gave them wisdom. In verse number two, it also says that God gave. In verse number nine, it says that God gave. In verse number 17, it says that God gave. The Lord is the one who gives. The Lord is the one who will provide for whatever situation that you're in. I found myself as I was preparing for this consistently asking the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom, give me understanding. Because there are times where you are going after something and it feels like you're just beating your head against a wall. You can't find that breakthrough and it's, God, just show me. 
It is the Lord who grants wisdom. It is the Lord who provides favor. He is sovereign over the nations. He is sovereign over history. He is sovereign over the lives of these boys. And it was the Lord's favor upon their lives that enabled them to stand before the king. This special place and not be put to shame. So the Lord does a couple different things. He does three things here. First, he blesses them intellectually. He allows them to understand things that they shouldn't necessarily understand, to have wisdom beyond that. As we talked about last week, that wisdom pushes them even further, their knowledge and their understanding. They're able to actually know how and when to apply this knowledge. They're knowing who to talk to, how to talk to them, so that they're able to get the accomplishment or the will of the Lord accomplished. And thirdly, God blessed them supernaturally. God blessed them in a way that it was, it was undeniable. Not only was it undeniable, it was unexplainable. This is not the way things should have gone. I don't know about you, but if you're eating vegetables consistently in water instead of wine, it doesn't make sense that you should be, as the scripture says, fatter. I mean, you could have been eating 10 times the vegetables, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the direction that it was going in. God stepped into this moment and he took what was normally not understood to make what he desired to happen. Because they were faithful to him, because they trusted him, God showed up. God blessed them supernaturally. These four young men stood before the king and were tested, and all of them passed the test. Yahweh is the ultimate source of wisdom. It's God's divine favor that brought Daniel and the other exiles deliverance and salvation. It was God's grace poured out upon them. And remember that God is judge. It's Daniel's name. God is judge. And he has judged Israel righteously. They turned away from them, and he did what was right and sent them into exile. But even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of this cultural clash, even in the midst of everything in this new world that they're walking in coming against them, God poured out grace. Reminds me of this, this moment at the end of Samson's life where Samson has turned away from God so many times. Samson has done what was pleasing to his own self and his own flesh, but in this last moment of his life, he chooses to honor God, and he says, God, if you give me strength one last time. See, the God that we serve is not the God who just looks to be powerful, to just come in and crush, but that is the, we serve the God of grace. That even those who don't deserve it, he is still willing to be generous. Now, I'm not saying all these things that we, 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 we might consistently live in sin because we know we serve a gracious God. No, I'm saying these things because there are people who will tell you that this God of the Old Testament is an unloving God. They will tell you that this God of the Old Testament is a God who does things that are horrible and, and evil. But what I consistently see here is he is desiring his people to just be holy, desiring for his people to be like him. From the very beginning, all he has ever asked of us is for us to choose him. Yes, there's a tree in the center of the garden, and the reason why the tree had to be there is because there had to be an option every single day. There had to be an option in every single moment for you to choose what is right. Israel, his people, who he said he would never relent 
and pouring out his grace and love towards, they had to still have a mechanism in place for them to choose him. And so he chose what would seem to be the easiest thing, just don't eat ribs. They couldn't. They couldn't follow after him. Don't worship these other gods. They're not even real. They can't hear you. But they couldn't. And so God had to say, look, I need to strip away everything in your life so that all you have left is me. And when all these things are stripped away from you, then you will see me. And then you will choose me. Because all I want is you. This is the loving God of the Old Testament. This is the loving God that sends his son Jesus, that he might die, that we might be what? Restored to him. That there would be a bridge, that there would be salvation and an opportunity. This is the God that lavishly pours out grace upon love upon grace upon love. And he wants you to choose him. I don't know about you, but I look at these boys' names. God is my judge. Yahweh has been gracious. Whose is what God is? Yahweh has helped. This is the gospel. It's only by and through him that I can stand here. It's only by him and through him that we can take this collective breath of life. He is gracious to us. This culture of Babylon was full of wealth and beauty. But underneath all of that was sin. Underneath all of that was pride. Underneath all of that were things that displeased God. In this culture that we live in, it's tantalizing to the eye. Fame draws us. Wealth draws us. But underneath those things, there's pride and there's sin. There's things that displease God. What will you compromise so that you can have fame and success within the world? Will you walk away from him? Or will you choose him like Daniel and say, no matter what the world may throw at me, I choose the Lord. But this is the beauty, is in the end, in the end, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, the king calls out upon the name of the Most High God because, because these young men had conviction to stand their ground in what they believed. Do we have that conviction, not just for ourselves, but so that they might believe, so that they might know him and the joy that comes with him? So I encourage you today, be hopeful of the Lord. Be hopeful that wherever your situation is, I don't know, you might be in the midst of the pit, you might be in, in, in harm's way, trust God. Trust God, have hope that he will redeem, have hope that he will save, have hope that he will make a way. And he will make a way. Amen?